Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lisa H., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Tennessee. Today is Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020, and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. Today, we're reading from the big book, and we're on page 20. We're going to read and comment on the fourth paragraph, beginning now, there are. Today's readers for the 12 Steps, Nina R., the 12 Traditions, Yvette L., and readers of the text, Barbara E., Larry K., our newcomer greeters, Reva P., and the host for the second hour is Nancy P. The reference numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, December 1st, 2020, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 15,889. That's 15889. And the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 15,891. So that's 15891. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Nina R. to please read the 12 steps. Hi, this is Nina R., recovering anorexic bulimic from New York City. Thanks for letting me do service. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching, fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message 
to other compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Nina R. And I will now ask Yvette L. to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Yvette, uh, compulsive overeater in New Britain, Connecticut. Uh, The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you, Yvette L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 20, paragraph 4, beginning now, these are, and the reading and sharing will be on that one paragraph. And I'll ask Barbara E. to please get us started. Good morning, everyone. Was I... Getting on, was I called on while I was muting? You are, Barbara. Yeah. Okay, thank you. This is Barbara E. from New Jersey. So glad to be with my the troop in December. Okay, page 20. Now, these are commonplace observations on drinking, which we hear all the time. Back of them is a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. 
we see that these expressions refer to people whose reactions are very different from ours. And the two words that jump out to me, of course, are ignorance and misunderstanding. They, they're ignorant of the problem. They don't understand that we are absolutely powerless over our compulsion to eat once we start. And the misunderstanding is that they think we're just lazy, we're incapable, we're slovenly. At least that's how I perceive myself. And it harkens back, as I said, to the paragraph before, where I would convince myself I could have ice cream only once a week, forgetting the consequences when I couldn't stop, even when I desperately wanted to. And I would try various ways to trick my disease. If I ate sugar-free candy, that might work. The low-fat, low-sugar calorie ice cream, it didn't work. I wanted to join a sorority, but I couldn't fit their profile. So we're going to go on to learn about the different kinds of drinkers, moderate drinkers who can go on vacation like my husband. And when they come home immediately after having eaten a little bit excessively, immediately go, go back on a moderate plan. Not me. I keep eating for months and months until a doctor scared me straight for a while. And a hard drinker can stop if there's a sufficient reason, like my being told by a neurologist that he advised having my jaw wired shut. But even that fear passed, and I would eventually ignore the consequences. My brain would say, eat Barbara. It's okay, Barbara. The in intelligent part of my brain. And the emotional part would, I'm sorry, would say, the intelligent part would say, don't eat. And the emotional part would say, eat, Barbara, eat. That would happen to me over and over. So the real eater, and I'm convinced I am one, is going to need a solution. And that's the spiritual, the spiritual toolkit that I need. I wear glasses while driving to keep me and others safe. But what if I woke up one morning, one day, and decided to drive without wearing my glasses? Stupid idea. Well, that's how I react to food. I need the steps, every single one of them, because my mind convinces my body it's okay this time, and I've truly lost all abilities of choice. And sometimes I could eat one slice of pizza, but what about the 90 times I couldn't? It's like playing a deadly game of Russian roulette. Maybe there's no bullet in the chamber, but next there, there might next time there might be. I tried to explain it to my son just yesterday that he couldn't bring these things into the house unless he kept them away from me. Because at this point, thank you. At this point, I need to keep them away from me. Maybe tomorrow I won't. Thank you so much, I pass. Thank you, um, Barbara E., for getting us started. And although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your shares to every third day in order that others might share their experience too. So if you've shared on Monday or Tuesday, if you will hold off. Um, and who would like to share on what was read today? Jennifer H. from Virginia. Reva P. Uh, Larry K. Larry K. <clears throat> Melissa C. Melissa C. 
Recipe. Laura in the UK. Laura L. Somebody in the UK, say again. Liz. Liz, okay. You can tell me your last initial. That looks like a great lineup. So I have Jennifer H., Reva P., Larry K., Melissa C., Teresa P., Laura L., and Liz from the UK. So Jennifer H., please share with us. And if you're if you're not Jennifer H., if you'll please Good morning. mute. Hi, this is Jennifer. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you, Jennifer. Okay, good. Thanks. Um, I was struck by the reading yesterday and today because, you know, all those things people said to me, they were trying to be helpful, like my parents or my doctors or whatever. But you're right, what the person was saying, we, they just the ignorance, it, it wasn't um, meant to be mean-spirited, but they just didn't understand. I can remember... I don't know, 20 years ago, saying to my parent that I was allergic to sugar, that I just couldn't eat it. And they kind of, they thought I was crazy. And it seems that that's becoming a more accepted thing these days. But um, but I had trouble convincing myself, let alone other people trying to change my way of thinking. You know, I, I kept wanting to convince myself that I was normal, that I could do all those things that they were saying. And it took me a long time to just come to the realization that there's no way you know, I am, um, I am different. As someone, I think on Sunday the speaker said something about you know, being. Um, she, she quoted the book, but I can't. But um, you know, we, we're set apart. We're different than the normal eater. And you know, it's okay today. I don't care today. Today, it's, I'm, I'm blessed that you know I, I have neutrality around the food. That stuff doesn't call me, and I don't toy with. Oh, could I have that maybe now because I've been absent for a while. Um, so I'm just, this is such a, you know, physically and mentally, such a strong disease and such a, uh, it keeps coming back, you know, it's always going to be there. And I'm so grateful to be recovered from it today and to not be messing around with people who used to say to me or that I would say to myself that I have clarity today. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Thank you. And I'll pass Thank you, Jennifer H. And Reba P., you're up, followed by Larry K. Good morning. This is Reba P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. What struck me is where it says reactions that are different from us. So what is the reaction that I get that's different than these other people? Because for me, this whole chapter is explaining to me who I'm not. Because if I'm a moderate or a hard drinker, I can do a diet and I'll be fine. Why do I need to bother with these 12 steps? So what is the reaction that I get? The physical allergy um, reaction, I looked up the definition, is an adverse physiological response. So I have a physical allergy. When I ingest certain substances, it's like when I take certain drugs, I get a physiological reaction. I can do whatever I want and try to stop it, but there's no way I will. My body just reacts to the chemicals. But you know what I was thinking? What is the reaction I get to abstinence only? That's the graver nature of my disease. So another definition of reaction is a feeling experienced or an action performed in response 
to a situation or an event. When I am abstinent only, what's my reaction? I get restless, I get irritable, I get discontent, my resentment grows and grows and grows, my fear takes over, and I need ease and comfort, so I've got to go back to the food that gives me the allergic physical reaction. So for me, people whose reaction is different, I have to know that if I just keep the food down and I don't work the steps and access some power that can relieve me of that reaction, I am just a time bomb waiting to explode to go right back to the thing that kills me. So um, great for, for the reminder of who I'm not and why it's so important to not just put the food down like step zero, but to keep working and working these steps because the reaction to life when I'm not working a spiritual program, accessing power, um, I'm just like this tornado roaring through everybody's life and making a mess. Um, so with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. And Larry Kay, you're up, followed by Melissa C. Oh, hey, Lisa, thanks so much for your service. Uh, I'm Larry Kay. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. You know, the, there, there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of myths surrounding addiction, you know. Um, you know, and, 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 and when I think about this paragraph, I think about some of the myths. Like, you know, uh, uh, addicts are bad people, you know, that, that, that deserve punishment. You know, when I, when I ate an entire uh, bottle of baby aspirin as a child, I wasn't a bad child. There was something about that sweet taste of baby aspirin, something it did for me that it didn't do for other, other three-year-olds. And, and another myth, uh, part of the misunderstanding is that addiction is a choice. There's no choice. There, there was no choice in my, when I was, when I was a camp counselor, when I was uh, 16 years of age and I rifled through the lunches and though you moms and dads that put the sweet, you know, treats in there that I stole from your kids' lunches. I wasn't a, I wasn't, there was no choice in that. No, it sure seemed like it. But I was chasing after my addiction, which gives rise to the other myth, you know, I think about that, that people who are addicted to a legal substance are somehow different than, than a person addicted to an elite, to an illegal substance. I was no different than a heroin addict. And yet we come here and we see, no, we have a, we're, we're, this is a legal substance. You have to eat. You know, it's different. The, the foundational basis of your addiction is different. It is not. And I think another myth, another misconception is somehow, you know, if you shame people, you confront them, that this sort of treatment is going to work. And it wouldn't work for me. You know, when, when my partner at the time, she was a, a black belt in karate, and she said, Larry, just cut your portions in half. That's what I did. Larry, why are you throwing out hundreds of dollars of Nutrisystem stuff you bought? What, what, what kind of a person does that? See, I hated myself for doing it, and yet I was completely powerless over the urge, right? See, every time a normal person eats, their desire for more quickly becomes satisfied, and then they become disinterested in the food. A normal person is not consumed with more or what's next on the menu. A normal person is never going to understand my addiction on an experiential basis. You know, and that's why 
I can never be sponsored by someone who doesn't understand this disease experientially, and I can never be sponsored, I can never be guided in the 12 steps by someone who has not had an effective spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. Duh. They're not going to understand the three essential things that will ultimately liberate me. The problem, what is the problem that I have? What is the second, what is the solution to the problem that I have? And what is the precise way of bringing that solution to light? What's the problem? What's the solution? And how am I going to manifest that solution, which is the steps? There's lots of misunderstanding, you know, in, in the rooms, in the rooms of OA, there's misunderstanding. We are sponsored by people who have not had an effective spiritual awakening. They are not bad people. They're lovely people, but they are not going to be your Sherpa. They can't be. However well-intentioned, they can't get you to liberation from this disease unless they've had an effective, sustainable spiritual awakening. Thank you, Lisa. With that, I pass. Thank you, Larry Kay. And Melissa C., you're up, followed by Teresa P. Hi, good morning, Lisa. Thank you so much for your service this morning. Good morning, everyone. I'm Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I live in New York. And, um, you know, this is like commonplace, right, observations that people make, ordinary remarks, and in back of them is a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. They, People don't understand. They, they lack the knowledge, the personal experience, and they don't understand this. They're... Their reactions are totally different, and therefore I can't take my direction um, from from that. I can't, and yet I did. You know, I didn't understand that um, I had ignorance and misunderstanding about this. I, you know, um, I didn't understand the serious and severe nature of what I had, and so what I did all my life was I attempted to fix the symptom, you know, but never the real cause, never the underlying cause. So I, I attempted to fix the weight, right? I attempted to fix the weight, um, and I attempted to fix the way I ate. And this isn't a weight issue. And it's not even really a, an ish, a food issue. It's not even really, you know, it comes out that way. But this is a spiritual malady. I'm, I am different. I am very different. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, I, I said, you know, I've said this before. I, the book says it. We're a distinct entity. We're separate. We're different. The book begins to really make this case throughout, just consistently telling us, you're different, you're distinct, you're different. Why do I need to know that? Because I'm going to need to live my life in a very different way than everyone else around me. And um, and if I, you know, buy into it quickly, not because I want to be this wonderfully morally superior person, no, because I have no other options left, because this is the only chance. You know, um, one of the things that came to me, you know, this this commonplace observation, ordinary people, you know, we sit down to a dinner together, and they casually break off a piece of bread from the bread basket, you know, and I mean, I've seen it all the time, and they just, you know, slap on a, a little butter, and they have great conversations, and the bread is sort of in the background. But for someone like me, I do that. I don't hear another word at the table, even if I'm not eating it. Even if somehow I muster up the willpower, I don't hear one word except for the bread in the basket calling me, yelling at me, even when I wasn't eating it. 
And normal people don't understand that. And if you ever try to explain that, I've had the, you know, the pleasure of, of having a conversation with someone who looked at me, rightfully so, like I had lost my mind. They did not hear bread calling their name. They never had that experience. Therefore, they live differently than me. And that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. This is the way that I was uniquely created. Thanks. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And Teresa P., you're up, followed by Laura L. Hi, I'm Teresa P., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater uh, from California. And, uh, you know, I just uh, love this. uh, Well, I don't like it. It was, well, I love it now that I I get it. But I I was, uh, you know, I didn't have to, didn't need all those people to ask me those questions. I was busy asking myself all those questions, you know. Why can they just put it down? What's you know? I watched them put stuff down, and why can't I just do that? And but but I never could, you know. Forty five years of trying, you know, didn't work. I darn near killing myself. No, didn't work. And uh, yeah, and then it just goes back to I always, I you know, I, I you know, I needed to know that you know what my problem was. And, and it would be nice if other people understood my problem, but they don't need to get my problem. I'm the one that needs to understand my problem and then take appropriate action. And other people don't get it. You know, I have my own family. You know, I've been practicing this for, you know, a long time. And, uh, you know, and just and, and tell, tell everybody I'm allergic to sugar candy that I break out in fat. You know, it's... Bottom line is I start eating, I can't stop. And, uh, you know, people overweight in my family just look at me and go, you know, they don't get it. And they get to the state of it. Well, the last thing, you know, would you like some? And I just get to say, no, thank you. And, uh, you know, and it's just, uh, it's just, a, it's such an, a crazy, insane making disease. And at the same time, it's very simple. You know, it just, don't pick up my allergic foods. It's just like, wow, you know, and, uh, but that's, you know, but that's because it's a, a, but, you know, I don't do that because I, I can, I now have relief from the other part of the disease, which is that obsession of the mind, which always, which will always get me, always get me. And that, that takes God to deliver me from that. And uh, the way I get that delivery, deliverance is, you know, working the 12 steps of the program. And, uh, and, you know, and and it works. It just works. But, you know, it goes back to it's very simple. It's just that I have to keep doing it. And it amazes me that, you know, I can, you know, work with people and, you know, they have the tools and then they don't just, they just don't do it. And I, and I get to be thankful that, you know, that I get to work with people and see the results of not working the program. And, you know, when I, when I don't work the program, I pick up the food. When I pick up the food, you know, I'm just off and running crazy and hating myself one more time. So I'm grateful that I have a place that I can come to and hear the truth day after day because this is a daily disease. And I, you know, it does the disease is not in the parking lot for me. The disease is deep inside me and ready and willing to scream out. And the good news is God is there also. And 
willing to deliver me, you know, moment to moment. And all I need to do is just do the actions. And and part of the actions is sharing my experience, strength, and hope with others. My Gentle reminder. Of, thank you. My experience of, you know, but working a program gives me, you know, deliverance from the disease. And uh, not working program leaves me wide open to all the that the devil meant. So thank you for letting me share when I pass. Thank you, Teresa P. And Laura L., you're up, followed by Liz from the UK. And Liz, if you'll give me your last initial when you share. Laura? Hi, uh, Laura L., compulsive overeater in Pennsylvania. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Thank you. Okay, hi. Um, I definitely um, appreciate everyone sharing. Thank you for your service. Um, this ignorance and misunderstanding, I was going to take to the grave with me for sure. I had a lot of self-pity about how medical professionals and my family and friends and what they said to me um, and how they treated me over my compulsive overeating, um, which really I did resolve a lot of it in my for- in all of it really in my fourth step. I'm not going to bash the medical community for sure. Certainly not my family. They they didn't even know. Um, I just so appreciate the fact that um, AA was founded upon three physicians. You know, Dr. Silkworth knew the allergy, problem of the body. Dr. Jung says, hey, buddy, you got a mind of a chronic alcoholic. He knew something of the mind. And then Dr. Tebow, who I don't, you know, I, I have a lot of his readings. He knew about the spiritual malady, and he was a psychiatrist as well. And so our whole foundation was kind of built on the medical professionals, certainly by no means would I want to bash anyone, but it just didn't work for me. Conventional medicine, you know, I, I came up in my disease. Nobody understood, you know, what I've heard called the genetic bullet or that biologic, uh, the biological mandate, whatever you want to call it, you know, obsession of the mind um, and allergy of the body. Um, and so, you know, when I would end up at the doctor's office, they just did not see what food was doing for me. They would just see what it did to me at 220, pi- 220 pounds when I was 16, morbidly obese, burning holes through my pants from, from the chub kind of rubbing um, and my mom being pissed that my pants, you know, have holes in them again. And I have a horrible rash there and they're thinking I'm going to have diabetes. I mean, the doctors just could not see. Um, they could only see what compulsive overeating was doing to me. You know, the same at 120 pounds when at 17 years old, I end up in the doctor's office again, my hair's falling out, I have no menstrual cycle, I look like I have cancer. And again, they can only see what compulsive undereating is doing to me. And then again, at 20 years old, at 140 pounds, you know, I end up in the doctor's office, um, binging and purging, laxative use, overexercise with a heart rate of 36. And again, you know, they can only see what this is doing, bulimia is doing to me. But they have no idea what it does for me. And then they think that the food is the problem and it's really my solution. And they don't have another solution except medical solutions. And it just never worked for me. I mean, I really um, wish it did. And they do not understand why I would exchange a moment of, of, of a thrill or happiness for a lifetime of misery. They just didn't get it and they don't need to get it because they don't have my disease. Um, and the truth is, you know, I, I work in the medical field, but you can go to the ER and you could have cancer and be there the 11th time out of that month for your vomiting from your chemo and have a fever and nobody's pissed. But you show up in that ER, you're 500 pounds and you have maggots in your foot um, because you're so morbidly obese, you can't even see your diabetic foot and everyone thinks you're disgusting. Or if I take a drug overdose because I want to die and they're laughing at me in the emergency room on the way over there because food doesn't work for me anymore and I want to die. You know, so did I have to forgive all those people? Absolutely. You know, I knocked on the door of everyone for help. 
And electric shock therapy looked like a good option. Maybe I'd get enough amnesia to forget about the mental obsession. And maybe weight loss surgery would just cinch my stomach small enough. But I knew I'd perforate that. I knew I'd blow it out because of the mental obsession. So, you know, for me, going to treatment centers where they give me one single-size cookie and made me eat it in front of them for an hour and then send me off the next day, they never understood how that triggered the the allergy. Um, And I would always go and find myself at Dunkin' Donuts the next day. And the last thing I'll say is that I know that – there's, there's, I, I just know that I cannot, um, I wish I could, you know, take their solution, but I just can't. And I'm not interested in somebody's opinion about an experience they do not have. And so therefore I just don't go to the grocery store to buy tires because they don't sell them there. They sell them here at OA, not tires, but they sell a spiritual solution. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Laura L. And Liz, you're up. Hello, good morning. Liz E. for Elegant from the UK. Um, Thank you very much, everybody, for being here. Um, This paragraph really just makes me feel so, so, so grateful to be here today Um, because I didn't know what was the problem with me. And, of course, when it says these commonplace observations which we hear all the time... I believed them. You know, people would say, Elizabeth, just have a piece, one piece of cake. Surely that's enough. And it was just only eat two sweets from the the tin of chocolate. So you don't have to eat them all. Of course. And of course, I am, I believe that. But my gratitude today is you are my tribe. Everybody on this call is, gets me, knows me understands that emotional pit in my stomach as I'm speaking to you. And this is just the most amazing revelation to me. And the revelation that I've learned in the pandemic is the allergy, and it triggers this phenomena. And actually, food is not my problem. Food is the solution that I use. I consider myself to be a reasonably competent and I've had a pretty good career, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And people, lots of people come to me for advice. I look at my friendship group. They don't have the problem that I've got. I haven't picked people who did that. But, hey, I'm here today and I cannot be more grateful. And I can't be more grateful for the framework that this daily meeting gives me and what somebody said, I I tune in today because I love the simplicity of this program and I hear the truth. And boy, I'm a slow learner. I have to be reminded every day and I need to practice this every day. And so for me, I had a ton of ignorance. I had a ton of misunderstanding. And also, I really struggled with the reactions of other people. And something I'm learning to understand this week is I have to accept that people are going to react in different ways. And that has been a massive um, opening for me. Um, Anyway, I'm going to pass. And thank you very much for listening and wishing you all a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank you, Liz E. from the UK. 
Um, and before I take another list of names, we are on page 20 in There is a Solution. We are, we've read and we're sharing on the fourth paragraph, Now These Are. So who else would like to share this morning? Ken W.H. Sarah R. Jennifer C. R. Jennifer, I missed somebody. Vivian. Cindy B. Anybody else? Okay, this is what I have. Ken W.H., Sarah R., Jennifer, Vivian, Darian K., Cindy B. Anybody else? Did I miss somebody? And if you will, um, tell me your the first initial of your last name when you share. So Ken W.H., you're up, followed by Sarah R. Thank you very much. It's a joy to be here today. <clears throat> um, I'm Ken W.H. I'm a recovering compulsive eater in Cary, North Carolina. I'm just struck that I, I just own this paragraph as my own, too. Um, ignorance and misunderstanding. In the midst of my uh, addictions, I've... Um, lived with that misunderstanding and ignorance. Um, I think back to, um, well, with the drink, I'm recovering alcoholic as well, but ha- having a, a great time laughing at Otis on the Andy Griffith show uh, as he let himself in and out of his jail cell, or Foster Brooks was, I thought, a funny guy, and uh, playing the drunk. And the same, too, with um, I think about my ignorance with Santa Claus, you know, a bowl full of jelly. Well, I was a bowl full of jelly, too. Um, the Pillsbury Doughboy was cute and funny, but don't you even think about sticking your finger in my belly. Um, I, I, I just couldn't make the connection. And, and I would laugh at the fat jokes. I would laugh at the drunk jokes. And in the midst of my own illness, I would do that. So I lived in the same ignorance and misunderstanding that people who don't have this issue uh, would do. And, and I have to own that myself, that, that this disease is so powerful that even in the midst of it, it can keep me so ignorant and isolated and uh, just not understanding what in the world is going on in my world. And it isn't until I've, I've come into this recovery, especially into this recovery with uh, an in-depth look at the big book that um, that I've come to realize that uh, there's nothing funny about drunk jokes. There's nothing funny about fat jokes. Um, there's there's nothing cute about any of that. And our commercials and everything else kind of seem to want us to accept all of that as cute and funny. It's not. And uh, I know that today that it just tears my stomach to pieces when I hear people laughing at fat jokes and that sort of thing. Uh, there's nothing funny about this, and uh, I can't laugh at it anymore either. Um, I've had to grow out of that and, and become more loving and caring and understanding of those who are just suffering like I have. So I'm thankful to be here today. I'm thankful for uh, what people share. You're just a great group of people, and I love you all. Take care and God bless. Thank you. Thank you, Ken W.H., and Sarah R., you're up, followed by Jennifer. Hi, may I be heard? Yes, thank you. 
Hi, thank you so much, moderator. Good morning, everyone. This is Sarah R. in New York, a graceful, compulsive overeater, undereater, attempting recovery minute by minute. Um, wow, this, this paragraph, the ignorance of people who don't get us. Wow. You know, I'm someone who's been, you know, I, part of my addiction is being on either extreme. I've gained like 180 pounds in four months. I've lost like 40 pounds in a month, like extremes. And it's funny, I recently just met someone and she's like, what happened? You finally lost all your weight. How did you gain it back? And this, this was as, as late as like a month ago. And I'm just like, in my head, I was like, wow, what verbal diarrhea coming from this human's mouth? Like, what is that? What is my size have to do with any of her opinions? And it's funny because in my, in my community, um, you know, I'm sure others people, but I'm only speaking from my experience. It's all about weight, you know, and I've heard so many people the last few days say, oh, you'd be so beautiful if you just lost weight. You know, my mom, she was just taller than everyone else in her family, but all her siblings were, you know, it, were very, very small and skinny. So her entire life was all about, you'd be so beautiful if you just lost weight. And, you know, so growing up, because she got, you know, all of that obnoxiousness thrown at her, so she never created an environment of that. So I'm very grateful and very lucky. Growing up, I, I had no sense of, of, you know, negativity around weight coming from her. But, you know, so I was kind of in an oblivion. But then as I got older, when, when I started going on either extreme and yo-yoing with such intensity, that's when everyone else's opinions came out. And I, I can never understand. Well, like, yes, of course I'm beautiful. And, of course, I have a beautiful face. But, you know, I would always tell everyone, you know, there's just more of me to love, you know, and people, people couldn't understand that, that concept. Like if someone, you know, like, you know, they're, they're trying to help by telling us that like, oh, your size and everything like that. Like, no, thank you. We don't need your help. And, you know, someone was saying before that if, if, if someone had cancer, they wouldn't judge, judge us, you know, but um, it's just, the, the, this ignorance. But then it's funny because when it comes to someone was saying illegal substances, like, you know, in New York, we at, at like every highway, you have these kind of homeless people who are drunk with signs like, please give me money. You know, I'm not like them, but I'm exactly like them. I'm exactly like them. My, my drug of choice happens to be legal, happens to probably be killing me one minute at a time whether I'm on the stuffing my face end or barely eating anything that I have a headache, my hair falling out, my teeth and my, my teeth are basically, you know, multiple root canals. So, you know, it could have easily been alcohol or it could have easily been like a cocktail of drugs, you know, and you know, this is eye opening for reminder. me because uh, next time when I'm on the road and I see those people, you know, I got to give them a little bit of love because that could have been me. So thank you all for helping keeping me integrity with who I am of self and without a test. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you, Sarah R. And Jennifer, you're up, followed by Vivian. And Jennifer, if you'll give me the first initial of your last name. Uh, good morning. This is Jennifer C. Um, from Greenville, South Carolina. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you. 
Okay, great. Thank you so much. Um, so the sentence that really struck me from this reading, we see that these expressions refer to people whose reactions are very different from ours. Um, so my reaction, and a reaction is an, is an action performed or a feeling experienced in response to a situation. Um, this book tells me that I am self-centered in the extreme. So I am by default a self-centered, I'm in a self-centered state of being by default, right? Um, that's my spiritual malady. That's my spiritual malady is the self-centeredness. That's the poison to my soul and to my relationship and to my thinking. That's the poison that I need God to relieve me of, right? So destruction of self-centeredness is what this beautiful process requires. That's what this book tells me, that this is all about the destruction of my self-centeredness because that's my, my default reaction, right? That's my default feeling that I experience. It's from a very self-centered place as I look at the world. And so my reactions to life, my taking everything personally, my attempts to control, my chief reaction, which is using food to cope with everything, right? So this is what changes as I give myself to this process, which is, you know, God's will for my life as an addict. God's will is work the program. Um, so this is why entire abstinence is so critical because if my definition of abstinence leaves a loophole for my disease, be it uh, overeating abstinent food, eating meals too close together, um, still ingesting food or drink that um, provides an effect, um, I will invariably use food. If food is still an option, I will choose food. Why? Because I'm a compulsive overeater. That's why. I'm conditioned to use food in order to escape from this extremely self-centered reality that this book tells me that I live in, right? So once the food is truly not an option in any capacity, I get to see all my other reactions, right? Self-pity, pride, obsession, escape, control, Worry, fear, anger, resentment, self-righteousness, the list goes on, right? So all the things that describe the spiritual malady, that's what these 12 steps address. And the big book promises that I will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to perplex me, okay? That I will no longer react the way that I once did. And what a promise, right? Like what a promise. What a beautiful promise. And this never ends. It's like layers of an onion, right, to enlarge my spiritual life. That's the calling. So I continue to do this work. I continue to abandon myself to this work, and I get to live in these new reactions. So thank you so much for um, letting me share, and thank you, everyone, for sharing this morning. God bless. With that, thank I you, Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer C. And Vivian, you're up, followed by Darian K. And Vivian, if you'll... Tell me the first initial of your last name. I will. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for all your shares and for your service. I'm Vivian M. Uh, I'm a compulsive overeater in recovery today from Vermont. And um, I this paragraph, well, all the paragraphs, every time I say this paragraph, but it's the next paragraph too, um, there are commonplace observations. I think what st- stood out for me um, uh in this paragraph was we are we see that I'm sorry I'm losing my my process um 
back of them is a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. We see that these expect- expressions refer to people whose reactions are very different from our, our own. And the misunderstanding piece, uh, that's, that's what really stuck out for me, the misunderstanding. I always thought I was misunderstood. I didn't think people were ignorant because, you know, when I was in the food and, or my head was in the toilet throwing up the food, um, I I didn't think that people were ignorant. I thought I was the one who was ignorant. I didn't know why. I had no clue. I was doing this while I was in OA for years and years. I was still binging and purging and gaining and losing because I didn't even feel I was missing, I was understood at OA meetings. Um, I just couldn't. Get, I was so angry and so confused. God. I just couldn't get any of the concepts. Oh, my any. God. That's your girlfriend. <laughs> Oh my God! Oh, sorry, Vivian. Someone else. Someone is unmuted. If you, everyone could be sure, Star One, to mute your line. Sorry, Vivian. Please continue. Thank you. Um, and and in my experiences, um, and yes, I did lose weight and I did gain weight and I did have group support with dieting, and we all sat around and went out to lunch after the meetings. I mean, this is what we used to do years and years ago. I don't know if everyone did. We did where I used to go um, to OA meetings. And and it was nobody's fault. We just didn't do it the way it was supposed to be done according to the big book because we never studied the big book, even though that was the only piece of literature that was around at that time over 40 years ago. And when I got into vision, I, I heard I heard for the first time, you know, what I was supposed to be doing, what the text is, what they're telling me I need to do to live. I remember when I was pregnant with my son, and, and it, the first live birth I had after seven pregnancies, and I was bedridden. I went into the doctor, and I had gained seven pounds that week. And he looked at me, and he said, what do I have to do, plant a good year on your butt? And I looked at him as if to say, yeah, you're right. And I thought, God, at the light at the end of the tunnel is I will have a baby, so I'll take this abuse. You know, I thought I deserved every bit of abuse I took, every bit of, of judgment I had, because I felt so horribly about myself. And the truth of the matter is, I was misunderstood. People don't understand this disease. I can't go to a dietitian who was 20 years old and wore a size 2 when I was... 40 years old and wore a size 22. How could they possibly relate to me? And I sat there and took the sheet of paper and put the diet on it and threw it away in the garbage as I walked out to my car because I knew it wasn't going to work. You can't say, have a 12-calorie diet and come back and you'll lose weight and you'll be happy, joyous, and free. It doesn't work for me, and I never knew why. And the fact is when I... Thank you so much. When I got into this program and I finally realized that it's so much more than that. I have an illness. I have a disease. I have a twist of the mind. I have an obsession. I have cravings. I I, I have the buildup of emotions that leads me to this, this sick disease that I have. And once I'm off and running, I can't stop unless I have something else to fill up that empty hole inside of me, which is God today, which is a spiritual answer for me. And then I don't have to go to the food and I don't have to have those buildups and I don't go crazy and I don't stick my head in the toilet throwing up. This is the most amazing program. It is life-changing. It has saved my marriage. I, I, I don't even need to go into what's going on Stop. in my life now. Time. Thank you. But I never would have survived it without this program. I am so grateful and I have forgiveness and love in my heart now, which I never had. Thank you, Vivian M. And Darian K. and Cindy B., if you'll each take two minutes, that would be terrific. Sure. Excuse me. Hi, this is Darian K. from the Berkshires. Can you hear me okay? 
Yes, thank you. Great. Um, so I'm a recovered um, compulsive overeater. I'm just so grateful to hear all the shares. And, um, you know, I I can relate to every one of them and probably really can't say a lot that's very different from all of you. Um, I looked up the word ignorant, though, and, um, you know, it's such, it's, I mean, such a negative word, but it really is like a um, kind of a sad word because it really means uneducated and unknowledgeable and unschooled, um, untrained. And so um, that, you know, that makes sense to me. Um, I didn't know, I just didn't know that I had a disease before I came into program. I just thought I'd like to eat a lot and then I was going to be sad all my life. And um, it was just, just destiny for me. Um, and so, but when I came to program and I learned that this is disease, that, you know, um, that we have a problem uh, that's definitely more than physical, um, because that's the only piece that I addressed before program. Um, then I then it became clear to me what I needed to do and what my problem was. And so, I was just, I was no longer ignorant about it. And that was the, the, the light switch, I guess, that was turned on because of this program. It gave me that information um, that I needed to understand what my problem was. Um, and then when I came and I listened to these Healthy OA meetings um, on the line, um, I learned so much about how the food was really the solution to my problem. It was not my actual problem. Um, and that, it makes perfect sense today, but I just never thought of it that way um, before. So um, I so appreciate all of you. Um, I appreciate that I know the truth today and the truth will set you free, right? So, um, you know, I am living in the solution and uh, taking it just one day at a time as, as we all do, but um, so appreciating the fact that I know who I am and what I need to do today. So thank you and I pass. Thank you, Darian Kay. And Cindy B, you have two minutes. Thank you. Thank you all for your shares today. This is Cindy from Boston, recovering bulimic and overeater. Um, you know, what this paragraph really uh, spoke out to me was how, how important it is for me to not be apologetic about what I need to do for myself. Um, that's why I have this program is you know, here are people who understand my disease, understand my addiction, and I don't expect other people to. Um, but it also, um, it also, you know, it's very clear that I don't expect other people to take care of my disease either. You know, when I travel, when I go to people's places, you know, this is, I'll say, this is what I need. I say it as clearly and kindly and non-judgmentally as possible. Um, and it's non-negotiable, you know, and and when I put it that way, I don't really have any problem with people. Uh, most people are really cool about it. In fact, a lot of people really do get it and really do understand. I don't give them my whole story. I just say this is what I need to do. The only person that has actually kind of balked at it is actually my son-in-law. Um, and I think part of it was that he felt that I was judging him and his food. Um, but he doesn't understand that if I wasn't taking care of myself, and you know, I was bulimic because I couldn't stomach my life. Um, he doesn't understand that, 
you know, if I didn't do what I do with my food um, and take care of myself, I would not be present for my grandsons. I would be probably getting into their refrigerator and binging and purging all night. And, um, you know, I have not done that for over 30 years. And I, that's through the grace of God. It's more God's success than mine. Um, and also by working the steps, I am a much kinder, much more tolerant person. And so I don't have to apologize for having this disease. And that's my time. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Cindy B. And thank you to everyone who shared today and Team Wednesday for your service. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020, is 15,901. That's 15901. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Larry Kay please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Sure thing. Um, Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you could do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.